is an ongoing thing for the Christian. It's something that we do. We come to him in repentance for salvation. Uh, there are those who propagate today that you don't have to repent to come to know the Lord. I beg to differ with that because the scripture is very clear about repentance. Jesus came preaching repentance. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. So it's very important that we understand the need because if you have progressive repentance in your life, then there will be progressive sanctification. And that's why God saved you, to grow you, mature you, bring you to a certain place and point in your life to where he can use you to your very maximum in the walk with him that you have. The other thing we talked about was a need of uh, encouragement or edification, Romans 14, where we edify one another, we encourage one another by saying good things. I just used an example of this morning. Uh, Kelly and I were in the worship center and Bob came in this morning and he came down here to us and, and talked with us a moment and said, I want to pray for you guys. And he took us by the hand and prayed with us. That was encouraging me. That I was edified because of him doing that one particular thing. We reach out to someone and we share with them of what's going on in life. So there must be that reality of repentance and edification in our life. Also, then we talked about the need of adoration, praise, that we praise him. The, the concept of music is praise, which leads to worship, and then we worship in and around the music. So we talked about those three basic principles last week, and I shared with you that the world is shopping in the uh, marketplace, in the world, looking for something. I shared with you that I periodically kind of lose my mind for a minute and go shopping with my wife. And when I do that, you know, we're we'll walk around and look, and I'll say, well, babe, what are you looking for? And she'll say, just looking. Can I tell you? That's what the world is doing today. They're looking for something. They're looking for something that's different in their life. They're looking for something. We live in a, in a difficult world, though we're placed here by God for his glory. We're not here for our benefit particularly. We're here for his glory as Christians who know him. If you're a believer today, your primary person, purpose is to walk through this life giving glory to God, to honor him, praise him. We do that and we do that publicly as we are now. By the way, uh, worship can also be very private when you're alone by yourself and you're speaking to him. And uh, Bernard Jackson, a guy that I knew, used to play the saxophone years ago and may still do it. I've not heard from him in a while, but I was pastoring in Pasadena in the late 70s and early 80s and I was going across the big bridge one day and I was listening to Bernard uh, Jackson play to God be the glory on the saxophone. And I can assure you that I worship in that. Worship is not just confined to a building that we call the church. Matter of fact, we really have named it wrong. Uh, if you, you say to someone you went to church this morning, uh, I have a philosophy about that. You can't go to what you are because you are the church. I am the church. It's a living organism. It's not a building. It's not flesh and blood. Peter says brick and mortar. It's flesh and blood, it says Peter. So let's look today and see what else we might learn about this concept of uh, reality as we look to the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 13, if you would please. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 13. So we talked about the need of repentance. We talked about the need for edification. The word literally means to build up, to build up, the call to build up the body and spiritual growth. We talked about adoration. Uh, praise is an offering that we offer to him. And this second part is love. First thing is love. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Scripture says, let love of the brethren continue. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Love of the brethren. We love one another. Now, this coming July, which is not too far off, my wife and I will celebrate 56 years of marriage. It's God's grace that we've been able to do that. We understand that. But I love her. I love her regardless. I love her regardless. We love one another regardless. Just because Mike and I may disagree on something, which we haven't, but we, if we were to disagree on something, that doesn't mean we quit loving one another. The, the greatest problem in the church has been so many times over these years, and I've been doing this now for 50 years in September, in November, that you know something doesn't go our way, we break and run. No. We're here to work through things. We as Christian people, with Christ in you and Christ in me, we can work it out. Judy and I, Christ lives in her. The Christ in her loves the Christ in me, and the Christ in me loves the Christ in her. If that's the case, we can work it out to the glory of God and give Him glory, even through a difficult time we may have. And we've not had anything major in almost 56 years, but we had our moments. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've had our moments. And so we want to love one another, and we do that as a church. It's very important. The love is unconditional. It is loving as God loves. No strings attached. No strings attached. I love you. And I can say to you, I can say to Tom and Carol here, are good friends of mine that I've had the privilege to teach and preach to over the last five, or five years or so, and they're good friends, and I love them. And nothing they could do would keep me from loving them. Nothing. That's my responsibility. Matter of fact, you can't do anything to keep the Lord from loving you. He's going to love you. You just may be in such a, such a place that you can't enjoy it, you can't experience it, but He still loves you, regardless of what we do. He's loving us to love. Uh, years ago, in Dallas, there was a quote in the Dallas Morning News. Matter of fact, it was in 1990. This is a quote from Luke's, Luke's outhouse, okay? It was a bar, and this was in the Dallas Morning News. Listen to what it says. Luke's outhouse has a lot of regulars who drop in daily or weekly, but no one stays a newcomer very long. May I say to you in candor, that's the way the church ought to be. It's the way the church ought to be, that we receive people. We love them where they are. Now, I may not agree with you on something, but that's not the point. I love you regardless, and that's what the Scripture teaches us. Another, how many of you all remember the television series Cheers? Remember Cheers? Listen, remember the little jingle that was when it came on? It said, a place where you can go and everyone knows your name and their problems are all the same. Church. See, the problem in church sometimes, guys, we may be going to church for together for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but we really don't know one another. True or not true? True. Why? Because we don't take the time to get to know one another. I've gotten to know Fred Wells pretty well. I won't tell you everything I know, but I've gotten to know him pretty well. We drank coffee together. We used to go to... Uh, uh, what was the name of that place? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, over on Louetta, I don't remember the name of it. But anyway, now we go to Black Rifle. We drink coffee. I've gotten to know Fred. Not just know him, but know him. I understand that. I have a sense of his heartbeat, his passion, his desire for the church. How do you do that? You spend time together. Sometimes we leave the church and we go off and we never meet with anybody. We never get together. I am a people person. By nature, I am an introvert. Pure, deluxe, A-plus introvert. But I figured out something about 49 years ago when I started my first church. <laughs> you can't pastor a church and be an introvert. You got to get to know people. You got to walk who they walk. You got to experience what they experience. You got to live where they live. And if you do, then you can minister grace to them and they can reciprocate and minister grace to you. So we must accept one another, listen, as is. Ladies, you ever bought anything as is? Go into a store, sell as is. You ever bought something? What does that mean? You can't bring it back, you can't get a refund. Can I tell you something? God takes you as you are when you come to him in salvation. Then he begins to work on you and to bring you to that place where he wants you to be. God accepts you in this manner. Look at Luke chapter 6, if you would, please. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Luke 6 and verse 27. Luke 6, 27. The scripture says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, Love your enemies, love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. What do you think? That's not easy to do, is it? But by the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives in you, we can do that. We don't have to agree on everything. The only thing that I suggest that we agree on is this book. I think we have to agree on this book. And if we agree on this book, then uh, things are going to go pretty well. But just because you and I disagree, you know, on, on uh, politics or whatever it may be, that doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I don't agree. Can we get along? Can we move along? Certainly we can. Because that's what God ordained for us to do. That doesn't mean that God accepts us in this manner. He accepts us as we are. It doesn't mean that he, he condones sin or leaves it unchecked attitudes alone or fails to challenge false teaching. We will do that as a church. We have to do that. Because one thing God, the Lord wants for his church before he wants anything else for his church is he wants a pure body. He wants the purity of the body that we're walking in the spirit, we're walking in holiness, we're demonstrating godliness, the world sees a difference and they'll want to come to this place as we live the life out in the world where we are. It is so important that we understand that. So we're to love one another, care for one another, get to know one another. Real love does what? It gives, it helps, it shares. God wants your time, God wants your treasure, God wants your talent. And we demonstrate those. We give those things. I give him my time. I give him my talent. I give him my treasure. Why? Because I love him. Let me give you, let me give you some. Remember this. If you don't write it down, please remember. Love, real love, godly love, biblical love gets outside of itself. Does that make sense to you? It gets outside of itself. You know, hey, I'm busy today, but old Gary back there, boy, he needs some help. He's got to get a trailer fixed and need some things done on it. I'll go help him. That happened this week in this church. 
Somebody went and helped him and did some things on that. That's what we're here for. We're here to minister to one another, encourage one another, bring grace, love one another. And the, the next thing I want you to see this morning is that the concept of integrity. The word integrity literally means upright. It means honest. It means sincere. Integrity is paramount today. And I'm going to make a statement here, and don't you dare get upset with me because I'm right. One of the greatest problems in government today is a lack of integrity. A lack of integrity, a lack of sincerity, and a lack of honesty. Tell the truth to your own hurt, says the scripture. Tell the truth to your own hurt. I've been listening to some things online that for some of these things they're going through on different things like the border and all of that and the guy who's the head of Homeland Security. I mean, it has been eye-opening to me to the way people think. It's amazing that this one senator was asking this guy question after question after question, and the questions were simply this. I want to ask a question to Kelly, and I want to an answer, and the answer is yes or no. Kelly, you glad you're here this morning? You don't have to give me a dissertation, do you? But none of these, none, this guy would never answer the question yes or no. He would come back and say, well, we're doing this. Or he said, I'm not asking you that. Did is the border secure? Yes or no? He would never answer that question. I want to tell you something. In your life as a believer, in your life as a Christian, your border is secure. It's secure in the Lord Jesus. I don't worry about those things. I just wish people would be honest. I just wish people would, and when they speak, speak with honesty. Don't hold anything back. Just if, if it, if it, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the word is sharp and cutting as a two-edged sword. Sometimes we need surgery, guys. Sometimes we need surgery. I certainly do. But it's a, it's a integrity. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. Daniel 6, 4. The scripture says in Daniel 6, 4, the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could not, could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. <laughs> Couldn't say that today, but anyway, I'll go on. Uh, evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Why? Because Daniel was a man of integrity. Here's the key. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. You'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. It's so important that we do that. Daniel, as an overseer, one, and, and as a, he was one of those guys that, that people, you know, they found him praying. What did they do? Threw him in the fiery furnace, right? But his integrity put him in there. His honesty put him in there. His love for God put him in there. So things can happen when we do the right thing. As an overseer, which is me, one is required to be above reproach. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm supposed to be above reproach. I'm supposed to live my life. What does that mean? It means that I do what's right. F.B. Meyer, great theologian of old, said this, it's always right to do right, therefore do right. Is it difficult to do right? Sometimes it is, isn't it? It's hard to do right. It's not easy to do right all the time, but it's always right to do the right thing. So we work at that. And everything we do in Christianity is an effort. It's work in what we do. So, so Dan, Daniel was a man of integrity. Paul was a man of integrity. When people see reality, they will respond to the message when it is presented in proper motivation. We must be found faithful as steward of the gospel. Listen, Christianity is real. We must live it 
and present it as real. Look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. Luke 9 and verse 18. And he said to them, that's not it, that's chapter 10. 9 verse 18. And it happened while he was praying along, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ, the Son of the God. They were honest. They were, in, they were with integrity. They spoke who he was. They were unashamed of who he was. What did Paul say in Romans 1.16? He says, For I'm not ashamed of the what? Gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. If we live it out, that's demonstration that we're not ashamed of the gospel. The next thing I want you to see this morning, not only is it integrity, there is teaching. Teaching consummates the church and what it's to be about. Every, everything we do should be about teaching. In Colossians, if you'd like to turn there, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. So, in this we see so far to this particular point, we see the concept of repentance, Edification, adoration, love, integrity, teaching, teaching. Colossians 1, verse 28. Now, verse 28 and 29 are my ministry verses. That's my, what I build everything I do on. That's my, those are, these are my life verses for ministry, okay? Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul writes and says, we proclaim him. We proclaim who? Christ. We proclaim him. Admonishing, encouraging, challenging every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Isn't it interesting that Paul says in that one verse, every man three times. We're equipping every man for the purpose of getting every man to what? To a place of completion where he'll be right related with the Lord. It's, it's, you can't exhaust the concept of teaching because you can't exhaust the scriptures. It's loaded. We teach today to be something new tomorrow, but we get, need to get it today to make what we learn next time even more profound to us. Amen? We need to do that. It's not just hearing the Word, it's living the Word, learning the Word, taking it in, ingesting it, and let it become a part of your life. Teaching. Look at verse 29. Paul writes and says, For this purpose also I labor, striving, that word striving from the Greek text literally means to work the point of exhaustion. Exhaustion. Paul worked to exhaustion. Now I want to tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. If a, if a man's really, really preaching the Word, if he's really teaching the Word, if he's really putting his heart and soul into it, he doesn't get prepared in two hours. Doesn't happen. Can't happen. When I was pastoring full time, I preached twice on Sunday morning, once on Sunday night, once on Wednesday night. I did a radio ministry, and on top of that, I did assisted living every other week. My, most of my time was consumed with preparation, most of it, because the, the most significant thing I do, now listen to me carefully, don't you dare get mad at me, you got to love me, amen? My number one purpose in, job, in, in, in the world of ministry is not to visit you in the hospital. It is to teach you in the, in the church on Sunday morning to where when you are in the hospital, you'll have the strength to stand in the midst of the storm that you're in. That's my responsibility. Am I going to come and visit you? Yes, I will. I will do that. But my number one sole responsibility, only job description in Scripture, only job description in Scripture for the pastor teacher is the preaching and teaching of the Word. That's all. Can't find anything else. That's it. 
I do more. I don't do weddings anymore because I require about 12 weeks worth of counsel. I don't do them anymore. I do funerals. I do those things. But the number one thing is the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. The number one thing is I'm continually equipping myself. You understand that? I don't, I don't just study to get a sermon. I'm trying to learn from that so I can impart what's become part of me to you that you may grow in grace. Because that's the one thing that I long for to know that you're growing. The greatest thing you could ever say to me as I'm here with you during these days would be if you came to me and said, well, brother, I just want to tell you this morning the Lord really spoke to my heart. He blessed me. Something there that, that, that I'm going to take home with me and I can live, live it out for His glory. And that's what it's all about. So teaching is so important. It's the concept to speak the truth. You handle the text properly. They were learners, had a teachable spirit. You have a teachable spirit? Are you a learner? Learner, readers. How many of you read? Anybody read? Encourage you to read a good book. Not Reader's Digest. Get you something that'll put, I got some teeth in it, okay? You want to know something to read? I'll, matter of fact, I'll give you a list in the next week or so of some things that would be profitable for you to read. But you be a reader. Why? Readers become, number one thing you read is the Bible, right? Because readers become learners. And learners become what? Leaders. Because the church needs leadership. Listen to me carefully. It takes all of us right now at this point to get done what needs to be done here at North Oaks Baptist Church. We need everyone who can and will step up. If nothing else, you pray. But if you can come and do something on a given day, if you come up here and make phone calls to people that aren't coming anymore, whatever you could do, you do that because it's important. No, no little jobs in the church, okay? No little jobs. No big jobs. They're just jobs, the things we need to get done to reach people, care for people, love people, and demonstrate who the Lord is to them. What would happen? What would happen if we really took the study of Scripture seriously? What do you mean? Well, let's just say that next Sunday, before we started on the next message, that I gave you a little pop quiz on what we covered today. Would that be unfair? I mean, what if? I'm not saying we're going to. Don't panic. It's okay. But what if we did? Would we become more attentive? Would we become more learning? Uh, how many of you, all of you I presume, are going to school or either graduated from high, at least got graduated from high school? If you went to college, did you take notes? Why? You wanted to learn. You getting it? So we got to put forth effort. I put forth an effort. I'm working. I'm, I want to bring you something that's worthwhile. Sometimes it may not be to you. It may not hit you direct, but sometimes it may. And I hope it does every, every time. To persuade men to live it out. That's what, that's what teaching does. It, it's a persuading agent to get people to do. Let me give you some things here. Number one, to persuade men means to call them, to commission them, to challenge them, to convict, see the Spirit convict them, to correct them, caution, change. Teaching teaches as much a, a correcting agent as it is a learning agent. The Word corrects us, amen? The Word checks us. You've been reading and thinking about doing something, maybe, going to, maybe it's not anything illegal or immoral, I'm not talking about that, just something in the Lord just checks you in your spirit, you don't need to do that. And you stop. 
That's what the Word does for us when it comes to live within us. What does Psalm 119 verse 11 say? Does anybody know? It's old VBS. I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. What's the sin preventive? It's the Word living in you. It's the living Word living in you. The Word is alive and well. And it works in us when we listen to it. Last thing, number seven, yieldingness of life. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, if you would, please. Many of you probably can quote that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans 12, 1. Paul writes and says, therefore, I urge you. Now, stop right there. I'm going to teach you something, okay? You listening? One person's listening. Are you listening? Okay, here we go. Therefore, I urge you. The word urge is a gentle word. Paul is saying, I urge you. I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. So it's a, it's a gentle term. It's, it's a gracious term from the original text. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, His mercy is ours, mercies of God, to present yourself. That's your responsibility. You have to present yourself to Him. Look what he says. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The word bodies there literally translates entire being, your entire being. Presentation, you present it. You yield. You yield. My life is not my own. If my life were my own, I wouldn't be living in Houston, Texas. I mean, I'm not down in Houston, Texas. I just wouldn't be living here. I'd be living in East Texas. I'd be living where the lake is and where I don't have to go but about a mile and a half to bail hay. That's where I'd be living. But it's not my life. It's His life. And He chose to place me in Houston, Texas. Some of you may think, well, Maybe you should have stayed in North Dallas. You wouldn't be here. Well, that's okay. That's fine. But I am here. And God put me down here that I might be here at this particular moment in time. I have no question about that. That's how I view the Father. He makes no mistakes. None. He makes no mistakes. None whatsoever. So it's a yieldingness of life. Your body is a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed. Now, that, that statement, and do not be conformed from Paul, is a command. That is an imperative command. You will not be conformed to this world. You'll be submission to the Word. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that you is good, acceptable, and perfect for His glory. Presentation, separation. The, the concept here of, of acceptable and perfect uh, is, is, a, is a concept of worship that we give to Him. And it's a picture of transformation. We keep on being transformed. We keep on being different. We change. We, we grow. We mature. We think different. We act different. We speak different. I don't know about some of y'all, but some of the things that I used to do, I don't do. Some of the words I used to use, I don't use. Now, I'm just being honest. I, 
I, I didn't have a very civil tongue when I was in the military. I didn't. But I don't take credit for not doing that anymore. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, that keeps me from doing that. And I yield that to Him. And that's what He wants you to do with your life this morning. Lord, here I am. What do you want to do with me in the days I have left? That's the question. Yieldedness, ours is living the life to Him. To give it over or give it back. David Brainerd, a missionary on the eastern seaboard at one time in his life, he only lived to be 29 years old because he, he lived in bad conditions. He ministered to the native Indians there, and he slept in a, had a little hut out there where they were, slept in a, on a bed, a bed-like thing, and the hay was the mattress, had a little tattered blanket. He ate, uh, drank clabbered milk and tainted meat, anything you could get. And he died from tuberculosis at the age of 29. Poured his life out for those people up there. But it wasn't his life. It was God's life. God chose to do it that way. And David Brainerd said this at one point in his ministry, and I quote, I long to be a flame of fire continually growing in the divine service and building up Christ's kingdom to my last and dying breath. I want to keep preaching even after I die, boy. So how are you going to do that? I tell my wife and my kids, I said, you, you, do an, you can do an open casket for the visitation thing if you want to, and I want a little sign in my hand that says repent. <laughs> why, why, why do you become so attached to something? Why do you live to do what you do when you run nine years like I did, disobedient from God, you just want to be all in as much as you can. And I'm still learning what that means. And I'm still pressing forward for His glory. It's His life, not mine. It's a, a yielded life. Listen to this. A yielded life produces reality. The reality through our lives, the world can see that Christianity is worth living. It's worth living. Christianity is worth living. You go to Jeremiah chapter 18, or you go into Hosea. I've been in Hosea this week quite a bit. And, and Hosea, he, he talks about he wants the prophet to go get his wife and bring her back who's a prostitute. And the picture of it is that Israel is the prostitute. She's gone to idols and all sorts of things. And he says, go to her and speak to her, and hopefully she'll repent and come back. It's, it's so important we understand that, that because we need to guard ourselves from what's going on in the world where we are. Listen, just, just because the, the world and the culture does it doesn't mean the church has to abide and walk in it. Scripture says, come out from among them, be ye separate. Be ye holy, for I'm holy. So important. We must continually give our, ourselves. What, what is ourself? It's our attitudes, it's appetites, it's our actions over to the Lord. The Lord will check you if you'll let Him. It is a choice to live as a living sacrifice. This is what he says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Submit yourself to him. That's what he wants you to do. That's what's going to make a world of difference. See, when, when, you're, when you're all about the truth and all about the word, little things not going to bother you. When your interest is in people and worship 
lost people being saved, immature Christians getting mature, the little things don't bother you. And what we do in the church sometimes, correct me if I'm wrong, we allow the little things to bother us, the little things that really don't mount to kingdom things, but we allow those get in our way to keep from being what God wants us to be. Say, why would you say such a thing? I've pastored six churches and done 20 interims. I know people. Something, let me, let me say, you need to write this down, okay? Some things just don't matter. Some things don't matter. Let's just say, hypothetical, okay? You understand hypothetical? It's not real, okay? Let's just say that, let's just say that Larry and Gary and Chris and I, we come up here one night and we take all these little square things on the wall and we paint them bright pink. And you come in the next Sunday, if you're not careful, your day's ruined. The pink inlays on the wall does not change who God is. It doesn't. Those things don't matter. You know, I changed Sunday school literature one time in a church, and, and, and I had one guy that, I mean, it just went ballistic because I changed it. But it was far superior to what we were using. It was the Word of God. It was Warren Berry's, Warren Wiersbe's series, by the way, on be holy, be righteous, be, 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 be loving, all of those kind of things. And I just changed it. You know, I feel like that's some responsibility of leadership to do what's best for the people and bring them to where they need to be. I mean, we're not going to come up here and paint them pink. I just want you to get that picture in your mind. How many of you in the days that you lived, I don't care where you're eight or nine years old or you're pushing 90, you ever experienced change? Yeah? Have you ever changed anything at your house? Ladies, have you ever changed the decor? You ever got a new chair, new couch? Remember when wallpaper was in? Bad news, guys. Wallpaper's coming back. You understand what I mean by change? Here's the deal. Listen, and I'm through. The change needs to be here. Here. If the change is here, the other things won't matter. I'm telling you, they won't matter. It won't matter. Next time you want to, something changes and you don't like it, just remember some things don't matter. If it's not eternal, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I had the blessed privilege of this weekend of coming up and helping uh, Dan uh, cut, cut the grass. I had the privilege of getting stuck out in the swamp. I didn't know it was wet. I just pulled off right under zero turn mower and bared it up. Big deal. We didn't get upset. We had fun with it. We went and got a chain, went and got, got my pickup. We got it all out. And, and, I, and I told Fred, I said, it was a good thing we did that. He said, well, it was a good thing. I said, we, we decided we'd wash all the equipment after that. It's, listen, listen. It's perspective. You view it from God's throne room or you view it from your room. And if you view it from yours, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. View 
everything from the throne room. Boy, when you do, I only know one thing that can't be good if you view it from the throne room. That's cold coffee. That just can't be good no matter what happens, okay? But life, listen, is a privilege. Amen? Today is grace, and today is a privilege. Let's live it for His glory. We must yield to the clay. Listen carefully. We must yield to the clay. The the clay must yield to the potter because we have no say in the matter. Jeremiah says, I'm the clay on the potter's wheel. Climb up on the potter's wheel. As a believer, climb up on the potter's wheel. Say, Lord, here I am. How do you want to do? Mold me, shape me, conform me to your image. That's what he wants. And that's what he will do if we'll let him. For the church to make a difference in the 21st century, there must be reality in the life of each believer. For we are the church. There must be repentance, edification, adoration, love, integrity, teaching, and yieldness. The reality of a living faith. It's a reality of Christ's life. People see, or it's a reality of worldliness sifting through. We are God's chosen, as God's chosen, or the church. We individually must be real. We must take off the mask, be seen for what we are. If we can't be real, something is drastically wrong. I told the guys when I met with them, I said, what you see is what you get. I'm not trying to put on a show. I care about the church. If I didn't care, I wouldn't be here. I'd be playing golf three days, four days a week. But I do care. And as long as I have breath and I can share and encourage and help and bring the church along to some degree for the glory of the Lord, I want to do that. Why do we say this? For we are real people with real hurts, real needs, real desires who need to express themselves by sharing their hurt and needs. We're, listen to this now. We are an imperfect people loved by a perfect God with a perfect love and a perfect plan for our imperfect lives. Listen to me carefully. His will for you is perfect. Perfect. What does he want to do in your life? Say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do? We'll see revival, renewal as we live in reality. Here's the verse. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. You're going to hear it a bunch in the days ahead, so get a handle on it. Zechariah said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If our, his church, is going to go anywhere, which it is, things are happening even now, as we move forward, we must understand that it's His church. And what does He want to do? It's the reality of real life as people come and see the Lord Jesus Christ transforming and conforming lives to Him. So, so important that we see that. It's His church for His glory. I love what John MacArthur says. I've said this to you before. God wants to build His church His way for His glory. Here's the question. Will we let him? Will we let him? He's building his church. There's no question. There's no question about that. You're here this morning. And maybe there's not in your life the reality of a living faith. You need to come trust Christ. Maybe you're in Christ, but you're consumed with the problems of the world. Drop it off at the altar. He'll walk with you as you yield to Him.
stand with me for this time of invitation as Kelly comes to lead us. What would the Lord have you do this morning? Say, Lord, here I am. Would you be like Isaiah and say, here I am, send me. Where is it? Across the street? Down the road? Teach a class? Sing a song? Whatever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for each one here this morning. Father, I do not know their needs. I do not know what prompted them to be here this morning. I pray, Lord, it was you. And I pray, Lord, that you would know, let them know that they are most, most important to you, your kingdom. Lord, there'll be one here without Christ. Would you speak to their heart? Call them to yourself. Those who have been, who need a church home, those who need a place to serve, would you speak to their heart about the possibility of locking in here and and growing and, and being conformed to your image. We give you praise for what you're going to do, what you have done and will do, and we thank you in Jesus' name. As we sing, you come. <clears throat>